I don't know what it was, but I saw these really high resolution images from Terrasar X and I was just blown away by how beautiful these black and white grayscale images looked. <laughs> they don't sound pretty, but they were just the most magnificent images that I'd ever seen in my life. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tumapos and you're listening to Down to Earth, the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their science, their careers, and their passions. Today, we're touring ocean depths, forest-covered landscapes, and sandy beaches, all from the comfort of our own home. Support for Down to Earth comes from the Inspire, Develop, Empower, Advance, or IDEA Committee of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The IDEA Committee is devoted to empowering engineers and scientists from diverse backgrounds to follow a career in geoscience and remote sensing. One way they do this is by pairing established and emerging geoscientists through their Women Mentoring Women program. In this year-long mentorship, careers blossom and friendships are born across generations, disciplines, and geographies. To learn more and become a member, visit grss-ieee.org slash community slash idea. I wanted to study astronomy back when I was younger. So when they would ask me, you know, when they ask kids, what do you want to do? I would always say I either wanted to be an astronaut or I wanted to be a pilot. This is Dr. Gopika Suresh. She's a postdoctoral researcher in the Asian School of Environment at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. From a very young age, she has always had an interest in space. But like many people with a passion, Gopika had to take a roundabout path to end up in a career she loves. Most Indians will agree when I say this, that we usually have very little choice in what we have to study. <laughs> so if you're good at science and you're good at mathematics, it's either med medicine or engineering that you have to do. And I went down that path and I chose electronics and communications engineering. The good thing is that it didn't take long for Gopika to rediscover her passion for science through a career in radar remote sensing. So you ended up in communications engineering. And then what? At some point, I was sitting in my, I think it was the third semester of engineering, when I was introduced to satellite communications. And uh, that's where I first was introduced to the love of my life, which was radar remote sensing. And I remember sitting in class and saying, that is my way out. <laughs> this is how I go back to space. This is how I go back to going um, where no person has gone before. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a Star Trek fan. That's so cool. <laughs> I grew up with that, honestly. <laughs> I, my mom used to watch a lot of Spock, and then I grew up with the next generation, so the house is filled with Star Trek things. <laughs> Seriously? <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So did Star Trek, Star Trek really did come before yes. Radar? Yes. So yes. Star Trek inspired your love of space and your third year engineering course in satellite communications brought you back to space where you fell in love with re radar remote sensing. Yes. Until date, that is still the love of my life. And my husband knows <laughs> this as well. <laughs> so your I, husband I is know. the second love of your life. Yeah, <laughs> there is no real competition between Sar and my husband, but he knows that, you know, Sar is always going to have a very special place in my heart. I have no bias against uh, multispectral and hyperspectral sensors, but my heart is always going to be with radar. Yeah. What's in these images? They're just, you said they're just black and white and just, you know, plainly abstract. 
I could say. (laughs) But it contains so much of information. So there are so many layers within it, you know. Your eye sees the visible spectrum. Microwaves see so much more. They see roughness. They see moisture. They see um, a brightness. There is so much more in radar images that uh, you can find if you know what to look for. That's what fascinates me. So where have you gone with your research? I started off with earthquake deformation analysis. So I went to Haiti for that, even though I didn't physically go there. So I looked at the earthquake in Haiti in 2010 and did a post-earthquake deformation analysis uh, with the German Aerospace Center in Munich. And this was my master thesis. Then I went to the ocean for my PhD and to the depths of the ocean to look for hydrocarbon seeps. (laughs) And this was in the Black Sea and the Gulf of Mexico. And thereafter, I came to the land and I looked at Europe and Germany as such to quantify forest cover, land cover changes and monitor them using, again, radar. And then I went full circle. Actually, no, I went to the coast. I went to where land meets the ocean, (laughs) (laughs) which is what I've been doing in Singapore. So I've been monitoring or developing algorithms to monitor the coastline and coastal hazards uh, in Southeast Asia. So you've been like everywhere because of remote sensing. That is correct. Mm -hmm. So I've read that you won the Merum Award in Marine Geosciences. I want to know what research led to this win. It was such a cool thing. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, so believe so. I believe so. It's such a cool thing. It was so cool. Okay, so this was part of my PhD research, um, and it was a collaboration between two institutes at at the University of Bremen. So it was a collaboration between the Marine Geoscience Department and the Environmental Physics Department, so two different extremes. And um, my mission for my PhD was to create the first fully automatic algorithm capable of not just detecting oil slicks from radar images, but also estimating the seafloor location of the source seep. So we're talking about not oil spills from ships, but natural oil slicks that have always been in the ocean all over the place. And they are not really considered pollution because the environment has a way of dealing with the oil that is released from these seeps. It's not a lot. For the marine geoscientists, these hydrocarbon seeps offer a location where you have an ecosystem of flora and fauna that are completely reliant on synthetic chemosynthesis. So what they would usually do is they would go on research cruises and they would use in situ sensors to go and find these locations. But the marine geoscience department wanted to know whether it was possible from radar, from satellite images. And that was the mission. And the reason I won the award was because I successfully came up with the first fully automatic algorithm that is capable of doing this. And the geoscientists were very happy to go and verify it in the Gulf of Mexico. So they took all the points that I had actually pointed and they went and verified that there was actually an oil seep there. And they were very happy. (laughs) All I can say is it's amazing. You're amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. If you say that it's the first automated algorithm, then you just made history. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, that sounds really cool, doesn't it? <laughs> so now you're in Singapore. Can you tell me about your work there? Um, in Singapore, like I said, uh, I'm part of the geodesy team at the Asian School of Environment at the Nanyang Technological Institute uh, University. <laughs> and we do disaster response and we're part of a bigger consortium called Sentinel Asia, where in case there is a disaster somewhere in Asia, then we are activated to provide rapid maps. And we do this mostly with uh, our own algorithms, but using Sentinel-1 data. And this is in collaboration with NASA JPL and Caltech. So we, we have so many people, so many scientists involved in this, but we provide rapid maps that can then be used uh, for providing relief efforts and to basically increase uh, disaster risk resilience in that region. I focus also on implementing and developing algorithms to monitor the coastline in Southeast Asia using Sentinel-1 again. The reason we're doing this is because Southeast Asia is uh, rapidly changing. There is so, there's so many mega cities just booming up everywhere. And because of this, there are certain consequences that these cities are facing. Some cities are sinking and subsiding. And there is also, of course, the risk of coastal flooding all the time from extreme weather and also from sea level rise. So it's important to know how coastlines are changing. And we were just told that the Earth Observatory of Singapore uh, just won an award for... Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you uh, for actually this year's EOFS CG Awards because of our involvement in, like I mentioned, the disaster response um, initiative and how we are increasing disaster risk resilience in the Southeast Asian region. Very cool. And you've done other work with respect to Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs as well, right? Can you tell me about that research? Okay. So um, if you know about the Sustainable Development Goals, then you know that there are 17 of them which are then subdivided into 172 targets and approximately 272 indicators. And these indicators are more precise. So they actually have proper ways to quantify certain things. Like there is an indicator that actually says the total amount of forest cover versus land cover in a country. And every country is supposed to report on this. So this is something that I worked on when I was working at the German Federal Agency, and they have their own digital land cover model. So using satellite images and remote sensing data sets, they quantify land cover across the country. And so we could actually calculate how forest cover has changed over the last 10 years using the land cover model that the German Federal Agency had. What makes you so passionate about this? I mean, aside from the radar pictures and everything else, why this area of focus for your work? I grew up along the coast. I had a beach within 15 minutes from everywhere that I lived until I moved to Germany. So the coast is very dear to me. And um, I always somehow tend to bring my research back to the coast. <laughs> Uh, so that is one thing that I'm very passionate about, and I'm very lucky to be able to work uh, on something that I'm very passionate about. But the reason why I want to I want to work in this field of remote sensing and looking at the Earth, even though I am a space freak, is because I think we have a responsibility to our planet. And remote sensing gives us the power to do that. <laughs> 
it gives us the power to help. And not just by developing our applications or by uh, quantifying certain things, but also by communicating our results and our scientific findings to the public. Coming up, we dig into GoPika's involvement in several communications-related initiatives, where she's working to connect scientists and the public with remote sensing. Worldwide, women remain underrepresented in the STEM workforce. That's why the IDEA Committee of the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society has developed a highly organized and incredibly rewarding mentorship program for women. Through this year-long program, mentors support mentees in setting goals, problem-solving challenges, and celebrating successes. For mentors, it's an opportunity to share expertise with the next generation. And for mentees, it can mean the difference between staying in geoscience or leaving the field. To keep going as someone who didn't come from a science background, um, having those mentors who saw promise in me meant a lot and, and truly helped me navigate specific circumstances as they arose. Consider offering your expertise as a mentor or bringing your enthusiasm and questions as a mentee. Visit grss-ieee.org slash community slash idea to sign up. Welcome back. Today, we've been speaking with Dr. Gopika Suresh, a research fellow in the Asian School of Environment at Nanyang Technological University. A self-described earth warrior, Gopika has combined her passion for remote sensing with her love of the earth to conduct a wide variety of research focused on the environment. From using SAR to monitor disasters in Southeast Asia to assessing indicators for the Sustainable Development Goals, her work is helping decision makers protect the environment. But as Gopika mentioned before the break, her ability to help the planet relies heavily on scientists' ability to share their science with the public. Since beginning her career in remote sensing, Gopika has actually gotten involved in many communications-related initiatives, the most prominent of which is Sisters of SAR. A lot of what happens in life is luck and right timing. So I am closely involved in the Sisters of SAR initiative. So we're a Twitter initiative, just like Ladies of Landsat. And we focus on radar and we focus on uplifting women in radar remote sensing and just in remote sensing in general, general, promoting women and helping other people find women in our field. The reason I say that it's luck and right timing is the reason is that I had, uh, I think I tweeted a photo of Singapore a couple of uh, months ago, earlier this year, and that uh, somehow got the attention of uh, the founders of Sistosa. And they approached me saying, hey, would you be interested in making us a 24-hour channel so you could tweet from Singapore? And we could then tweet from Canada 12 hours later. And I said that I'd be happy to, you know. And it's also right timing because this is the year of COVID-19. If this was any other year, we'd be traveling around, we'd be going to conferences, we'd be rushing to submit abstracts and manuscripts and everything. This year, basically, we were sitting at home with lockdown restrictions and travel restrictions. <laughs> so it was one of the best years to be tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> and it gave me a lot of fulfillment to just help uh, tweet about the different women in radar remote sensing. What impacts or successes have the Sisters of SAR had in your point of view? 
Well, personally, I can say that I know a lot more women in this field because of that. Um, I can also say that uh, just by the number of followers, so we just hit 2,000 followers, and we started off just in early earlier this year in January. So just by the number of followers and by tweeting about women, we're not only just increasing visibility on women for other women, but also for men. And by initiatives such as Ladies of Landsat, Sisters of SA, 500 Women Scientists, any kind of initiative such as that, we are telling the rest of the world that we exist and that it's about time that we are made a part of every single panel and every single editorial board and every single decision. So I think that's the biggest impact that we have had. And we're making a lot of noise. I do, I know that. But I think we need to make this noise that we can be heard. You're also the executive coordinator of 500 Women Scientists in Singapore pod aimed at promoting women in STEM. Can you tell me about this initiative? Uh, 500 Women Scientists is an organization that was started in the US. And then they went global. And I heard about it for the first time in Germany. And when I moved to Singapore, um, it didn't exist in Singapore. And uh, I moved to Singapore in January this year. <laughs> I remember I went to, um, I play a lot of badminton. So I went to play badminton with the rest of uh, the university staff. And I realized that it was just men. And uh, one of the things that uh, a man told me there was, as a girl, I shouldn't play long shots. And this is, he hadn't even seen whether I had a strong forehand or not. He just said, as a girl, don't play a long shot. So I went back home and I thought, okay, I need to get to know more about the cultural setting in Singapore. And the only way I can get to know more about how women here feel and how, what the perspective of women are is to hear from them. And that kind of led me to create a Singapore pod. And uh, we would meet once every month or once every three months and we would discuss different topics. It's just nice to hear about the experiences of people who've been working in Singapore longer than I have, because I didn't want to already just make up my mind after that one encounter <laughs> with that person during badminton. I wanted to hear more. And I wanted to know whether this was a feeling shared by other women in Singapore from different cultural backgrounds or whether it was just a one-time incident. <laughs> <laughs> so both Sisters of SAR and 500 Women Scientists focus on solely women, their work and their stories. Why do you think this is important? Why do you think it's important to share women's stories in the geosciences and even in science in general? I think it's very important to share stories from other women because they have not been heard before. So when I started off my career, I could name so many professors, male professors in my field, but I could name maybe one or two female professors. And that now has changed. Now I can name more women in this field than men. And I think these, this is exactly what uh, initiatives such as 500 Women Scientists, Sisters of SAR, and actually this new section in remote sensing that I'm also part of <laughs> as an editor is also aiming at. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a new section in the remote sensing journal called Discoveries in Remote Sensing, which focuses on amplifying the voices of underrepresented communities. This can be geographical, 
communities can be underrepresented communities in different institutes. It doesn't matter. We just want to hear from those who haven't been heard before. And during this, when we were discussing um, the section and what we should include and what we shouldn't, we also decided to do a little study to see what the present state of editorial boards in remote sensing look like. And what do you think? What percentage of men versus what percentage of women exist in editorial boards and remote sensing? 70-30. Very good. That's actually bang on. <laughs> <laughs> Some, of course, more than less. So if you go to the more technical ones, you find 90 to 10 maybe, wow. sometimes even zero. And then if you look even further at the 70-30 or 90-10, you'll see that most of the people in the editorial board are located in the US, Canada, and in most of the English-speaking world or in Europe. And very few, very few are spread out across the world, which again made us wonder, you know, with, with satellites and with so much of free data around the world, that needs to change. Remote sensing is global. We need to have a global view and perspective on this as well. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that this initiative has been, you know, going on. And it's, it's, it's not just about publishing papers, but also getting access. Because access means there's, there will be more people who would know about these researches and even the people behind these researches. That's correct. I totally agree. And that's why what we offer is a give one, get one offer, which is that if uh, if a manuscript is submitted from an institute that's located, let's say in the US, a well-established uh, institute, and, and if they pay for a full manuscript, then the journal will offer a free manuscript to another underrepresented, underfunded group somewhere around the globe. So this is the first time it's being offered and we had to fight for it. But we hope that in doing so, we at least will get a balanced section, at least, where we'll have more publications from women, from other underrepresented communities, from regions in the world that haven't otherwise had the opportunity to submit manuscripts. We hope to hear just more. Mm-hmm. What advice could you give to women who are you know, considering a career have just been starting this career in the geospatial field and and what would you say to encourage them i would say if you're passionate about what you are studying and if you've found something that motivates you to wake up and go to class or go to office every day then stick with it you are not alone there are many initiatives that are waiting to support you and find a uh, woman that inspires you. Until Singapore, I had never worked uh, under the supervision of a woman, and my PI in Singapore is a woman. And um, my team has more women than men. And we are scientists, we are engineers, and it is very different to all the other teams that I've worked with in Europe, in Germany. And it is just really, really, really amazing. So. If all of you young, early career women out there have not experienced that, then please go ahead and do that. And what would you say to women who are already established in this field? Where are you? Please add me on Twitter. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> if you're not already my friend, please follow me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll follow you later on. <laughs> Although I'm not too active on Twitter, but I will try. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Down to Earth. For more information about Dr. Gopika Suresh and her research, connect with her on Twitter at go underscore underscore Pika. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And send some love to our sponsors at IEEE Win GRSS on Facebook and Twitter and IEEE Women in GRSS on LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tumampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Killam Media. And a special thanks to Heather McNairn, Sean Kifover, and Keely Roth for their support. I'm Stephanie Tumampos and you've been listening to Down to Earth.